Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, March 3rd, and this is your FT News Briefing. Waymo raises billions of dollars of outside investment to fuel its self-driving car ambitions. And the UK kicked off high-stakes trade talks with the European Union yesterday. But first, U.S. stocks showed signs of a rebound on Monday, with investors putting their hopes in central banks to offset the effects of the economic impact of the global coronavirus outbreak. We'll hear from U.S. markets reporter Colby Smith. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. After seven straight days of losses, we actually saw stocks gain quite dramatically. So the Dow was up about 5 percent. S&P 500 also gained nearly as much. NASDAQ rose as well. So across the board, we saw gains. And that was, you know, an impressive turnaround from a few days or a week, really, of losses here. And at the same time, you had 10-year Treasury yields close in on 1 percent. And that's never happened. It's never breached that 1 percent level. So investors and strategists were looking at that figure pretty closely. But again, we didn't hit that 1% level. And what what did investors see on Monday that caused such a drastic change from the prior week? So it all really boils down to central banks. There's been increased expectation that the Fed and other central banks around the world are going to step in to help shore up the global economy in the face of this escalating outbreak here. Now, central banks and finance ministers from G7 countries are meeting on Tuesday morning in order to discuss how to manage the situation in some capacity. And markets are expecting something like a 50 basis point cut from the Federal Reserve in March at its March meeting, um, which is just in a few weeks time, or even before then, some investors are saying that, you know, they could do an emergency cut before that period of time if the situation warrants. Now, this idea of coordinated efforts, while no one expects it to cure the virus or to, you know, resolve the economic growth challenges, many investors say that it could help shore up confidence, it could help ease financial conditions which have tightened over the last week. So many people see it as on the margins being very beneficial. After U.S. markets closed yesterday, the European Central Bank released a statement on the coronavirus outbreak, saying it's, quote, closely monitoring developments and their implications on the economy, medium-term inflation, and the transmission of monetary policy. We stand ready to take appropriate and targeted measures as necessary and commensurate with the underlying risks, end quote. This follows statements from the Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, and the Bank of Japan. Meanwhile, the effect on business continues. Hyatt Hotels withdrew its full-year guidance in response to softer travel demand since the outbreak. Visa followed its competitor MasterCard and cut its outlook for revenue growth in the current quarter. It said this was due to a slowdown in cross-border payments. And in the U.S., the total number of coronavirus-linked deaths hit six on Monday, all of them in the state of Washington. And now to the race for self-driving cars. On Monday, Google's sister company Waymo said it had raised $2.25 billion from a group of outside investors. Silicon Valley private equity firm Silver Lake led the investment, along with sovereign wealth funds Mubadala and the Canada Pension Plan Investment Board. This was the first time the self-driving car company has looked beyond its parent, Alphabet, for capital. It's the latest sign that Alphabet is ready to give up more control over some of its so-called moonshot projects and turn them into commercial ventures. The latest investment matches the $2.25 billion that SoftBank invested into General Motors' driverless car unit, Cruise, last year. And here's a story you should know more about. 
On Monday, Britain and the European Union opened up the first round of negotiations on trade in a post-Brexit world. Boris Johnson's chief negotiator, David Frost, took a team of 100 officials to Brussels to kick things off this week. Last week, the UK Prime Minister threatened a hard exit from the transition period using World Trade Organization terms at the end of the year, if the talks with the EU don't progress by June. The FT's George Parker talks to me about the demands from each side. Well, both sides are targeting uh, what Boris Johnson calls a Canada-style trade deal. It's a fairly modest kind of trade deal, which basically eliminates tariffs and quotas on trades and goods. The big problem is that the European Union is saying, well, hang on a sec, it's fine. We did a deal like this with Canada. It's true. But Canada's on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. We want Britain to be governed by much tighter restrictions, really, on what it can do to stop it getting involved in a race to the bottom on regulation. In other words, trying to undercut the European Union by deregulating in areas like climate change, labor laws and state aid regimes. So, George, what kind of restrictions are we talking about here? Well, the EU basically wants to put all this into one single super trade deal. But they're basically saying we can't afford on any of these areas to have Britain undercutting our companies and our economic model by deregulating. So they're insisting on this thing called the level playing field to apply to the whole arrangement. And they want to use EU laws as a reference point, as they put it, for the way that the UK behaves in the future. And Boris Johnson's saying, well, hang on a sec, the whole point of Brexit is we can do our own thing. Now, the big test for the negotiators on both sides is whether they can find a way of fudging that between now and the end of the year when the deal is meant to be in place. George, over the weekend, EU Trade Commissioner Phil Hogan told the FT that companies and public authorities should brace themselves for a big change to trading conditions with the EU. What's at stake here for businesses? Yes, I think there's a great sense that businesses on both sides of the English Channel aren't really ready for the huge upheaval there will be to UK-EU trade probably on January the 1st, 2021. That's the target date for the new arrangement to come into place. And if you can imagine trying to move from one system, which has been in place for almost 50 years, to a completely different system on New Year's Day, uh, you can imagine the potential for chaos. And I would advise anyone planning to travel through the port of Dover on that day to make alternative arrangements because there could be chaos. I mean, the fact of the matter is that whether there's a Canada-style trade deal at the end of this or a World Trade Organization exit, under either scenario, exporters will have to fill in customs declaration forms for the first time in 50 years. They don't currently have to do that at all. And those forms are complicated to fill in. And it's been estimated, and this is an estimate backed by the British government, that 50,000 people will need to be employed by the private sector to help fill in these customs declaration forms. That's a hell of a lot of red tape when you consider one of the points of Brexit for the Brexiteers was to eliminate EU-related red tape. And turning away from the EU for a second, the UK is also preparing for trade talks with the US. How might those go? What we've seen is the UK on Monday publishing its trade mandate, its mandate for what it wants from these negotiations. The mood music before the talks start hasn't been particularly good. We've had Huawei as one of the issues that's soured the mood between the US and the UK. And the general view that the British aren't prepared to accept some of the bottom lines of the Trump administration in this negotiation, namely opening up the British market to a whole load of US agricultural exports. Also the question about whether US healthcare companies should have greater access to the big national health service market in the UK. Both of those areas where the British government's saying, well, these things are effectively off the table. Now, if you take those two things off the table, you wonder what's left. Um, because, you know, any trade deal which doesn't have agriculture as a key component, we know, doesn't usually get through the US Congress. 
And one other thing I'd say about the UK-US trade negotiations, we heard Donald Trump on a visit to London in 2019 saying he hoped to quadruple the amount of trade between the UK and the US. Well, that was never a realistic outcome. Trade between the UK and the US goes on largely unrelated to whether there's a trade deal in place or not. And we had a much more honest assessment from the UK government on Monday, which said that even on the best case scenario, a trade deal between these two countries would add 0.16% to British GDP. And just to put that in context, the government's own estimates suggest that Britain will lose 5% of its GDP as a result of the trade deal that Boris Johnson's pursuing with the European Union. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. Today is Super Tuesday in the U.S., where 14 states will vote on the Democratic candidates vying to take on Donald Trump in November. The field has narrowed over the last few days. Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar dropped out of the race yesterday, a day after fellow moderate Pete Buttigieg quit. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.